a coupon for um, a free drink, but I think we need the donuts now. How many of you think we need the donuts now? All right, I thought so. The two eyes have it. So, um, whoever's doing the donuts, come pass out donuts. Dad, you get a donut. There's going to be extra. When you get up here later, you can probably get another one if you want. Um, or you can take one to your significant other or your favorite child, whichever, whatever you want to do. But, um, so these are from Hertz Donuts. You guys have been hearing about Hertz Donuts coming to town? They opened up right by my house. And they are open 24 hours a day. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's my new favorite place. Hmm. There's some awesome donuts in there, aren't there? These are works of art. These aren't just donuts. Okay, I'm going to start talking and pretend like you're listening. So, so I, I want to think about the idea of how God the Father looks at us, how we look at him, and how Jesus as um, God incarnate, God in human flesh, um, kind of helps put all together and helps us understand and helps us to process how God looks at us because we see how God looks at Jesus and then how we're going to um, have a relationship with Jesus and marry Jesus someday, all these different elements of this. I, I want to use some of these scriptures to kind of process some, some basic questions. But I also want to throw something out here theologically that, that, um, that probably could be fairly um, um, controversial the way that I say it, and, and I'm just going to say a little bit of it. I could explain, if you, if you think, oh no, that's kind of controversial, come talk to me, I think I can explain it fairly simply. But here's the thing, I think that when God uses the term Father for Jesus, I think that for the most part, not completely, but the way that we process it is, is the most important, and I, and I don't think that Jesus is, I think when we, a million years from now, when we're in eternity, I don't think when we're looking at Jesus, we're going to be processing Jesus from the point of view of God as his Father. Because I think at that point, he, he's back in his spiritual existence, he's back in his deity existence, and the understanding that we have with God being our Heavenly Father and the Father of Jesus is going to be transcended by that. I think we're going to go back to seeing Jesus being understood as the Word, Word made flesh, the transcendent one, the everlasting one, more from that perception. I, I don't think it goes away that God... Um, that God is Jesus is the Father, the Heavenly Father. But I think that's more for us than it was for Jesus. I think God being Father of Jesus was limited to the time on earth for the most part. Okay, And, and there's some reasons uh, why I think that. But specific, I'll go to the other side. The reasons why I think that it's important that we see God as Father of Jesus. You understand that Jesus was not conceived by a, a man. That the, that the seed of a man was not how Jesus was conceived and came into existence. That was from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit supernaturally conceived Jesus into Mary's womb. And the reason that that's an important deal is because um, Jesus didn't come from the seed of man and therefore was not under the, 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 um, the sin uh, existence that humanity comes from, which 
which in some particular point, this is not theological, this is the way my brain thinks, is, okay, if, this, if the seed of man is what transfers, like, the mentality of, of sin uh, from generation to generation, then, I, then are, are mothers exempt from that? I don't know how that works, but don't, mothers can use that in an argument later, I don't know. But the idea that God the Father conceived Jesus, and Jesus uh, grew up on this earth with God as his heavenly Father, I think is, to the great extent is limited to this earth. Right? Jesus is transcendent beyond that. But for us, I think it remains eternal. I think when we step into eternity, we're still going to understand that God is our Father, but it's going to be way bigger than what we could possibly understand now. Right? The same way we would process relationships or anything, they're going to, it's going to transcend all of that kind of stuff when we step into eternity. But God specifically uses terminology of Father to show us who He is, who we are, who Jesus is, how we interact together, what love is, what connection, commitment, all these kind of things. And then kind of as a side result, we have this wonderful benefit, as and I'm saying this as a dad, I have this wonderful benefit to go to Scripture and say, what kind, how am I supposed to be a father? How am I supposed to be a dad? There's actually written understanding of this, in, in fact, in a way much more sense than, than a mother has to go to Scripture and say that, although I think it, it, um, it works for both. But I can specifically say, what is a dad supposed to think and do and, and these kind of things? Because I've got 4,000 years worth of Scripture to go and look at that just over and over and over times where we see this is how God is doing. This is, if God calls himself Father, then everything he does in Scripture falls under that category, and I can understand that. I can, I can read it, I can process it, and I can say that's how a, a father is supposed to act. I've had these conversations with many, pe- many, many guys over the years that didn't have a father growing up. And that's becoming a lot more prevalent nowadays. Over the last 50 years, we've seen this become pretty much pandemic in our country, where there's, there's not fathers around. That, that moms are, are raising these children by themselves because dad's taken off. He just wasn't there, he was only there once. And, uh, and we see that this, is, this is, is unhealthy for a child, boy and a girl, to grow up in, and without the dad figure. And so then what happens is society tells us that, then that some way that they're uh, like handicapped the rest of their life because they didn't have a dad, and specifically males, he didn't have a dad, so he doesn't know how to be a dad. Except for the fact that God's Word tells us, dads, if you didn't have a dad, it's okay You can go to Scripture, and God will show you how to be a dad. He will show you how to interact with your children because all of Scripture is that foundation, is that concept. God is a Heavenly Father, and I can learn from that. I can learn from that. I don't don't have to have a dad. Now, I do believe it's very important to have a dad because that's, in fact, that's one of the things that I think Satan picks on so much is because he he knows he can undermine the concept of how we look at our Heavenly Father if our earthly father is... um, is absent or, or bad or whatever the case is. And so, so I want to ask four questions and staying consistent with how we did this on Mother's Day. We're going to ask four questions, but I'm going to do this a little differently. We're going to be looking constantly at how God the Father interacts with us and how God the Father uh, interacts with Jesus. All right? they're, they're basically the same, but we're going to look at them uh, a little differently at this. So, and to let you know right up front, I did all the, most of the videoing for this. And I'm not a good videoer, apparently, because uh, it's all over the place. But don't blame that on anybody around here but me. But the content's still powerful. So, so let's look at uh, question number one, video number one. Watching my children grow 
Uh, I love being able to rough house with my boys uh, and be able to watch them grow up and try new things and be adventurous and be able to do all those things with them. I think watching your kids grow and develop, becoming adults, helping them with them, um, you know, giving them advice. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that. That was one of the nice things when they became a little bit older. I like getting to see my kids excel at things that I probably didn't excel at as a kid. Uh, my favorite part about being a dad is just being able to be there for my children and raise my children how I think is fit and to put them in the world and just, you know, see them, you know, blossom in the world and just do great things in the world and know that I helped with that. It's really a great privilege uh, knowing that God gave me the opportunity to be a steward and a, um, a leader for the children that he gave me. So it's a great opportunity to serve God by loving my kids and being a good example to them. So your favorite part about being a dad. I've, I've been uh, thinking about this. I mean, we, I was videoing some of this. So I've been thinking about the question and what, was my, what is my favorite part about being a dad? And I don't necessarily, every, one of the, every time somebody would answer and I'm videoing, I'm like, that's it. That's the reason right there. And then somebody else would say, that's the reason right there. It's one of those things where I've, I've got 20 good answers here. Depends on how you catch me or what moment or whatever. There's a lot of cool things about being a dad. So I'm going to put it into just one answer for me. I think the, the, my favorite part about being a dad is just being a dad. Just the fact that I had the opportunity to be a dad. Um, it's, just a, it's just a gift. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I recognize that not everybody gets to be a dad. And I, and I think sometimes we take that for granted. But just being a dad, it's, it's, for me personally, it's the greatest thing, separate from being married to Linda, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. There's, there's nothing that comes close. Although the, the next step of that is now we have a grandkid. I had a friend of mine text me last week, a week before last. He, I've known him for 30 years, and, and he used to, him and his wife used to babysit Jonathan when Jonathan was like one, two years old. While we were youth pastors, we were having youth service, and he would babysit Jonathan. And so he's excited. He said, Jonathan finally had a little baby and all this other thing. And, and he says, you know, this is, you understand this is why you don't kill your kids when they're young. This is the reason so that they'll have grandkids for you. And I'm like, you got me there. I can't argue with that. So, so favorite part about being a dad? Being a dad. So here's the thing I would ask is, what is God's favorite part about being our heavenly father? But let me, let me, let me not limit it to this heavenly father part, but just put the word dad in there. Because that, there is scripture that uses that type of terminology. What is, what is God's favorite part about being a dad? And, and do we see those things in Scripture? I think we see a lot of those places in Scripture, um, by the way. But, we, but it's easier to recognize them when we see them specifically in relationship to Jesus Christ because we see that, that father-son uh, connection in a, in, a, in a very succinct concept. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said... It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now, I'm going to stop right here just for a second, because I think this is an important, this is an important uh, thing to say. All right? and, and 20 years ago, 
25 years ago, when I, when I was speaking in churches as a youth pastor or a pastor or whatever, I, the idea of saying this would never have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have needed to say it. People would have thought, why is he saying that? We already all get this. But we've lost this understanding. So John, Jesus comes up to get baptized, and John says, I can't baptize you. I love it when we try to talk Jesus out of things. But he comes up to, to, uh, to Jesus and says, Jesus, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, baptize me, John, because God said we're supposed to. That's literally his answer. He doesn't give a big theological treatise on what baptism is and baptism of water and all the different elements of how that works together. Or whatever He says, I'm getting baptized because God said, do it. Dads, I know this flies in the face of modern parenting mentalities, but you just saw it in Scripture. You literally have the right to say as a dad, the reason you do this is because I said so. And that's it. You don't have to explain it. By the way, there's a lot of places in the Scripture where God tells us things and He doesn't explain it. He just says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Now do what I've asked you to do. So, so and, and I think it works obviously for moms too, but, but dads, literally, I, I, and I'm not being tongue-in-cheek when I say this. I think there is a, I think there is a um, spiritual leadership principle that is applied here that says that dads, you have... You need to say to your children sometimes, whatever the thing is, do this. And the only reason is because I'm dad. That's it. Because there's an authority thing there. There's authority understanding. There's a process that God literally is the one who's saying, as the father, I am telling Jesus, get baptized. Now, do we have other reasons why there is um, baptism in water? Yes, but you realize Jesus doesn't give them. Jesus says, dad said, that's why I'm doing it. Sometimes the reason your children need to do things is just because you're dad and you asked them to do it. There's an authority thing there. There's a respect thing there. There's an obedience process that's involved. And, and, there's, and that should be, it, it, it makes it sound like I'm saying dads be this mean person. But that's not what I'm saying. I think, I think this should be understood. And it's not always understood first by the parents, which means then it's not understood by the kids. And sometimes even when it's understood by the kids, it's not understood by the parents. Is that you're, you're the one that's in charge. And Jesus said to John, you know why I'm getting baptized? Because Dad said. That's it. That's the end of it. After the baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. I love that sentence. That, that, is a, that is a father thing right there. That is just a father thing. Is I really love you and you're doing something really cool right now. Now, again, I would argue that part of what Jesus was doing was being obedient. That really makes dads happy. Am I right? Can I, can I get a, a good strong amen on that one, dads? What makes you happy when your children obey you? Amen. That's a simple one. Right? Kids, did you hear that? Did you hear your dad's heart beating right there? All right. So, the, the idea first that Jesus is just being, being obedient, but here's something, and I, and I try to explain this to my kids sometimes, and now as they're getting older, I try to explain it in, in different ways, but I think it's a, it's a challenging thing to understand totally from the perspective of a child until you're a parent. And that's the fact that regardless of whether my children do good or bad, I'm proud of my kids. 
regardless of whether they do good or bad. Now, I can be very disappointed in them, and I can be very pleased with what they've done. Those are two different things. And by the way, I believe very strongly that God gets disappointed with us. It says it throughout Scripture. God gets angry with us. But I also know that God's really pleased with us at different times. But I don't think that that is the same subject as God enjoys being our Heavenly Father, and He enjoys us being His children. Regardless of what we do or what we don't do, I think sometimes as children we can think this way, that if I do this, that, that God will hate me. That's no, not true. It's not possible. Okay, He won't. He won't. And just like no matter what my kids do, I'm never going to hate them. I'm, I'm going to enjoy when they do the things that they need to do, and I'm not going to like them when they do the things that they shouldn't. But that doesn't change that deep in my heart, man, these are my kids, and I'm just glad that, that God's given me the opportunity to be their dad. I just really am glad of that. It's just it's something that I literally, like I said, it's the, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, so let me ask you with this. What is God's favorite moment with you? See, here's something I don't think we think about with God, but I want to I do the best I can to um, say this on God's behalf. All I can do is say it, and then you have to process whether you think this is true or whether you believe this or not. But I really do believe that if God stepped into the room right now and he, and he looks at all of us, um, I don't think he's going to start out with something like, you didn't do this or you didn't do this or, or whatever. I think that God, if God steps right in here right now and he says something to us, I think the first thing he's going to do is tell us that he loves us. And then the second thing is he's going to say that he's really excited about our relationship, that this is good, that he, that he likes being with us, that he likes being close to us, he wants us to talk to him, those kind of things. I think, to put it in, in another terminology, I really think that, that, that what we need to hear in our mind and our spirit from God is that he's really proud of us. And I don't think we think like that. I think we think so much about God being the judge and he's, and he's, and he's going to um, hold us accountable for this or hold us accountable for what, but, and I, but I don't think that. He, he, is so, he is so much about us. He is so much about us. Everything he is is about us. He sent Jesus for us. He, he literally allows Jesus to die for us. He, he designs this whole forgiveness thing and sacrifice thing for us. He doesn't do it for him. He does it for us so that we can be right with him. And so if he has the opportunity this morning, I really think that he would like to tell us just the same thing that he says to Jesus. This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. I really do believe, and I'm not just trying to say this for the, for the sake of this morning or whatever, but I really do believe that, that you bring God great joy. I believe that. But somehow you've got to know that. You've got to own that. You've got to think that way. You've got to process that. I mean, it's not something somebody can tell you. You've got to think that. And so, um, next video. Let's go to the second one. I remember one where we had, we were in New Jersey. My oldest son Scott got a, a model rocket kit uh, with, you know, to send it up in the air. Um, and all three kids were out there helping for the, first, for the first launch. And it was really fun to see the kids working together. And then my daughter was 
uh, at that time was like four, and she looked like a mini Rena. She was just standing there, her hands behind her back, standing there just like Rena would stand there overseeing what was going on. Seeing their joy of anticipation at uh, special events and holidays, camping with them and seeing them learn new things. I grew up without my dad, so, uh, but someone so transformational in my life was my grandfather. He loved me, cared for me, um, taught me how to love other people. And so when I became a dad, I remember the first uh, reminder that I had was to, um, you know, take hold of my firstborn son, Isaac, and love him. And, um, and uh, I, I made a decision that Whereas I didn't grow up with my dad, I'm, I'm going to be the best dad ever in his life. My most memorable dad moment is being able to watch my last kid be born. I missed the first two by a long shot, so it was just a, a great experience to get to see him be born. Most memorable dad moment is, I've got a lot because I've got a lot of kids. For my daughter, it's when I went to go see one of her first recitals and she ran down the hallway as fast as she could uh, jump into my arms with my boys watching them wrestle, watching them play sports, and with my oldest son Vance in particular, watching him recite some poetry while he was going trick-or-treating um, for Halloween. Your dad memory is probably just probably when the kids are getting along and stuff and I would say we went to the pool and uh, they were swimming, swimming together and they were just laughing and having a good time and just knowing that, you know, our family is, like, really connected and we're really close. So, on a little side note, I want to throw something out to make you think a little bit. Um, a few of these dads said that one of the things, the thing that is um, most memorable is when they see their kids getting along. Dads, how many of you would say that's a big thing? My kid's getting along. I even see this as, as they're grown adults, uh, just getting along. So if I, as a father, and God made me in his image, if I, as a father, it's a big deal for me that when my kids are getting along, they're just getting along. That means a, that means a lot from when they were little to, to adults, just getting along. Do you think that applies to God, the Heavenly Father, for his church kids, for all of us? Don't you think God likes it when we get along? When people, even, I'm, I'm saying, not even denominationally, that's a whole nother leap. That, have you ever wondered why, how God looks at some of the things we think about from Baptist to Methodist to, to, to Lutheran to Pentecostal? Have you ever wondered how God thinks about all the little schisms and things that we have? Like a bunch of little kids playing stupid little games and fighting with each other. And, and how many times would God say, I just wish you guys would get along? Even within the own, our own church body right here, I wish you guys would just get along. And I, and I think for the most part, I don't, you know, I haven't seen any duking it out fights or anything in here. But, but you know, sometimes you just, we just don't get along. And I, and I think that's a big deal to God. So let me ask you, dads, what's your most memorable dad moment? As, again, this is one of those things that it's just so, it's just so many, so many things and so many op, options and just for years. So yesterday at lunch, we were sitting there, and, and um, this guy walks by with two little boys. And uh, the oldest looked just like my oldest, 
and the youngest, the younger one looked just like my second child. And two little boys, and they're about um, three and five, maybe, little, maybe two and four, maybe three and five, something like that. And, um, and just as they're going, I'm sitting there, I became nostalgic all of a sudden. I'm thinking back to one of my boys, and I'm, I remember that. I miss those days. See, I, I'm one of those guys when they, when they say, um, do you, which, which is your favorite stage of life? Whichever one I'm in, I liked them all. I liked, I liked my kids when they're babies. I like them when they're, when they're little kids, when they're junior high, high school. I, I like them now. I liked all of the different stages of life. It was just cool. And I'm sitting there watching these two little boys, and I'm watching the dad, and, it's, and grandma's with them, and they're hanging out. And then pretty soon, I hear something. I look over, and they're under the table, and the older one's got the younger one. He's banging him on the ground like this. And the dad's just sitting there eating, and I, and I thought, that's so much like my boys. It's so much like my boys. To today, to this day, so much like my boys. And, and just, it was just one of those moments where I was like, you have no idea. I'm thinking about this to the dad, and I actually talked to him before I left and talked to him about some dad stuff. And just, but um, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea. You have no idea how fun life is with, with kids. You have no idea that how horribly angry you're going to be at these two boys so many different times in life. Just these, just these dad moments that you can't... And nowadays, when I look back on them, even the, even the horrible ones, even the horrible ones. I, I told a story years ago here, but um, when my boys put a bunch of gravel in this guy's car in the parking lot of the church, and then they got on it and were sliding down the hood of the car, and then they would put more gravel because they ran out of gravel. So they put more gravel on the guy's hood and would slide down the hood. We didn't find this out until they went home and gravel was coming out of their car the whole time. I was so mad. I was so mad. The only way that they could get the insurance to cover is the police had to come out and make a, a, a report about my boys. And uh, so I got a couple of thug hoodlums at, at two and four years old. I was so mad. But when I look around it now, it's like, whatever. I didn't even like those people anyway. I, I mean, I, I, I think about those things, and, and guys, Dad, some of your most memorable moments would be good, some would be bad, but I can tell you, 20 years later, they all kind of go into the good category. They all do. It takes about 20 years, but they all go into the good category. And so you, you, you process, what is, what is the most memorable Dad moment? What about God's most memorable moment for you? Let me show you one that may be a little different than the way you think about this. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. A, a, an uncountable mass of people that are there present with God, stepping right before we step into eternity. We're all there together and they're praising God. It says, all of these people with the sound, the crash of loud thunder, praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the, God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. There is something for me, and I don't know if it works for everybody else this way, but there's something for me about the, there's a, there's a specific moment in time where things change with your children. And 
you know, you're raised and do all the different things. I mean, there's these stages of life, like when they first start school, that's a rough one. That's a difficult one. You drop them off for the first time, and, and they don't even act like they know you anymore. They're like, yeah, you know, so whatever. But, and then, you know, when, they, when they're moving through different stages, they go to junior high or high school or whatever the case is, and there's all these different stages. You know, the first time that you recognize that they, that they like somebody of the opposite sex, that's a big one. I remember the first time with Emily, we were sitting in a Mexican restaurant, and uh, she was, I don't know, three, three or four or something like that. And this waiter walks up and goes away, and, and Emily looks at, at uh, Linda and says, he is hot. <laughs> and I was like, what? What did you say? He's what? If I look and he's on fire, we're good. Anything else, not good. And, uh, you know, those, there's, these, all these, there's all these demarcations in life along the way where you're where you, you, you see this. But the big one that, that, I, that I just recently experienced when I realized this is a major transition in, the, in my mind and my spirit and everything else is when my, a couple years ago when my son got married. And, and I, it's like, he's no longer really mine. There's a difference there. It's now him and her, and they're one together. Before that, he was still kind of like my kid kind of thing in, a, in an umbilical cord kind of way. But he's still mine. But then when I'm standing there, and I got to do the ceremony, and when I'm standing there and I say, Jonathan, do you take her? And he says, I do. And do you, uh, Amanda, do you take him? And she says, I do. And I realize they're one. They're, it's different now. There's a separation. So, so we see where, where they're praising God, all these different things, but here's the point. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast. And as bride has prepared herself, she has given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Do you realize that this is the moment when everything that God had established before the foundation of the earth is coming to pass? That everything that he had established for you and I, and everything was done for you and I, that literally since the beginning of the, of the, the, the sin moment in the Garden of Eden, in fact, the whole wedding thing actually was planned long before that. We messed it up. But now God has to put this all back. So he's, he brings, he brings uh, grace. He brings the sacrifices. He does all this, sets the stage so Jesus can come and be the sacrifice once and for all. And then we get to be covered with the blood. And then we get to be made right with God so that we can step into the God's presence and do what? marry Jesus and live eternally as the bride of Jesus Christ. And that is the whole thing. Everything was being built and planned and done for that. And we see where all of heaven is shouting and, and just amazing uh, roar like thunder that God is God because the, the church is about to marry Christ. There's, there's a good chance that that potentially can be the the most memorable thing for God. That he's been pointing everything toward this. That everything that's done. The reason we have the Bible is so that we can be the bride for Jesus Christ. The reason that we have forgiveness is so we can be made right and marry Jesus. All of this is about this. And I just know when I'm standing there at the wedding of my son and my, my now daughter-in-law, she comes walking down the aisle. I'm thinking this in my head. He picked a good one. He picked a good one. And then I had these few thoughts. I quickly chased them away. But I thought to myself, how did he do that? What does she see in him? You know, I'm, I'm thinking those things. And I look over and he's, and I'm like, what does she see in this? But this, this, 
this moment where I'm thinking, as a parent, I've been building and building and building to this moment. And it's not like I'm not a parent anymore, but I do know that they're doing life together, and now I'm taking a much more uh, backseat role. And I want to. I hope I did good enough that this turns out well, and 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 it is. It's turning out good. And this is the scene that we're seeing right here in heaven is it's turning out good. And my, my strong push for all of us in here is the only way you get to be standing there as part of the bride of Christ is, you, is if you've allowed Jesus Christ and you've asked him to be God over your life. If you've asked him to cover you with his blood and forgive you and wash you clean, you get to be one of the crowd that is shouting out here at, the, at this marriage situation. That's a, that's a cool thing. You make the decision on that. Nobody else does. You make your decision with this. So let's go to um, video three. The hardest thing about being a dad is watching them fall and make mistakes and knowing that you need to just step back and let them figure out their problems so that they can grow up to be good men. The hardest part about being a dad is having to say no sometimes. And that's more because you hear the yelling and screaming and the gnashing of teeth when you say no. The hardest about being a dad is watching like your children make mistakes and stuff like that because everyone makes mistakes and just teaching them how to work through it and how that, you know, with anything, you know, you can overcome your mistakes and just, you know, try to stay on the right path and do the right thing. Having an, an undivided attention uh, between work and children and the spouse. So really balancing that life between paying attention, being there for the children, while at the same time um, uh, you need to spend time at work and also in other ministry responsibilities. So balancing life and taking, you know, giving children your first priority, I think it's a big challenge. Saying or doing things that I believe are right, but I'm fairly certain will disappoint them. So it seems pretty consistent. And I think if you ask most, most dads, you would see this pretty consistent is, is uh, trying to figure out what to do about the, the difficult times, the negative times. There's, there's times as a dad when you have to, um, you have to not be the nice guy. You have to be not the nice guy. You know what I mean. So there has to be times when you say no. We see where Scripture talks a lot about um, when God disciplines, disciplines us, it's good, but we don't like it. And to think about this is really at the root of this. It's not just um, uh, somebody disappointing. It's not a child disappointing dad, although that's what happens. The root of this goes back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And when they brought sin to the subject... That's what gave things like rebellion, disobedience, and all that kind of stuff its, it's um, foothold and impetus. It didn't exist before that. There wouldn't have been these things if it weren't for uh, sin that was brought into the world. And so, to me, that's the concept. So let's go to a, another little part of Scripture here that, that kind of helps us see this maybe from God's perspective as Heavenly Father, but Father of Jesus too. Matthew chapter 27. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. 
One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs were open. The bodies of godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Then they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, and they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Now, a couple things to process with this. First, before Jesus comes to this earth and puts on human flesh, what we call the incarnation, he is, um, he is part of the Godhead. It is God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They are all together, but they are all separate. All right? they, he, is, he is at creation. He says, John 1 says that nothing that was created was done without him, that he is the word. He's the one who speaks all this into existence. The reason I'm saying that is they were all together. Then Jesus comes to take on human flesh to be the son uh, of God on this earth and our savior and all those kind of things to die on the cross and all this stuff. So he is part of the deity. Then when he's hanging on the cross, he literally takes all the sins of humanity up on himself. That's the point of him being the final sacrifice. The, the ultimate sacrifice for us is he takes the sin of humanity up on him. This, this is somebody that had never sinned before. Now because of this, God the Father turns, this is the mental picture I get, turns its back on Jesus because God cannot look upon sin. So then Jesus says, hanging on the cross, why have you abandoned me? So Jesus is realizing this. He is sensing this, this abandonment. He's sensing this um, God separating himself from Jesus at some level. I, I don't know exactly how it works, but we know that God cannot have any part with sin. Jesus takes sin upon him. He recognizes that God abandons him at that particular moment. How much diff more difficult of a moment in history could there be than when God has to literally turn away from Jesus, who again is not just his son in a father-son sense, but he is an equal as far as part of the deity. And Jesus has never, ever had any sin connected with him. And now he takes the sin directly upon himself, and it pushes God away. And God now is separating him. But here's the interesting thing. While that is happening... God is also splitting the, the veil in the Holy of Holies in two from the top to the bottom. So while Jesus is being abandoned by God, he is establishing the actual pathway that we can get to God. In the exact same moment, he's, God's turning his back on him. He recognizing that's where all the darkness and everything else is coming from. Is Man, Satan is just jumping on this moment because their sin is, is literally covering the Son of God. At the exact same time, it is, it is what is providing our deliverance from that same sin. We are being freed from that sin because of the sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, Jesus is taking on that sin. And, it's, and, and God is turning his back upon him at that particular moment. There is a, there is a you know, the, the, the two-rail kind of mentality going on here. This is the greatest thing that could ever possibly happen for us. Nothing can come close. At the exact same time, it is the worst possible thing that God, the Word, Jesus Christ, could ever have imagined. Is He's taking this on. 
And that's why when we say things like, he who knew no sin, that, that, that statement's a big statement because Jesus had never sinned, but now he's covered with it for you and for me because it's my sin and it's your sin that he's now being covered with. And that's how he forgives us. That's how he makes us right. That's how he takes that sin away from us and he takes it upon himself. That's an amazing thing to me. But from just, first from the Father, Son, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God turns his back upon Jesus. That's one element. But the next element to me is the part that I just can't fathom and I don't understand it. They are also, part, they are the Godhead together. And because Jesus voluntarily takes this flesh upon himself, God cannot look at him when it's covered with sin. That's the, the God, the deity part that, that, that just boggles my mind. But here's the, here's the cool part about it. All of this is done because God loves us. Every bit of this. Just because God loves us. There's no, there's no other reason. It's not because... God has a limited amount of humans and he wants relationship with them. He can create more. It's because he loves you. He loves me. That's the point of this. It is he loves us specifically. And that's what he's done. And, and every one of these, you understand, every one of these is how a, how a father, how you as a father can learn. How you can process some of these kind of things. So let's go to the last video clip. As a dad, I've realized that uh, I have the best uh, story that I can share to advise my sons and my children. So as a dad, please share your story, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Whatever you went through is a great learning opportunity for your children. Be aware of uh, the impact of your own personal relationship with your father. I would say a an abiding personal relationship with Jesus Christ in every detail, not just the big things, but in every detail of our lives. You know, I think one of the things that we did um, with our kids was, first of all, tell them that you love them a lot, um, but also not to be their friend, but be their parent. And one of the things that we did a lot was when we said no on something, it became a non-negotiable issue at that point. So once, once you say no or yes, that's the answer. Um, and if they try to work one parent against the other, um, we, got, we would catch that and um, make sure that the first answer was the one that we pick. So they have very consistent rules. To be honest with your boys, or girls I guess, I mean, I have boys so you know. Uh, to be, to be honest with them and to make sure that they know that you love them and that you're there for them. Be present, be in the moment, be with your kids as much as you can and show them the right way. Um, show them the way be like Jesus leads, leads us. Um, patience. You need to really be patient with your children because like I said, they're going to make mistakes and that they really want to do good and you just need to focus on being patient. Children are gifted from God, love them take care of them, support them, um, be the living Jesus to them, the living example, and um, listen to them. Okay, dads, I need you to stand. 
and come hither. Come up front, line up along the front, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some dad advice when you get up here. Look at all these dads. We got some manly looking dudes up here, right? Am I right? Josh, too. Don't forget Josh. So. <laughs> All right, guys. So, advice to give other dads. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. So, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and hold tightly to him. If, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, dads, teach your children about God. Teach them about God. Love God with everything, and they'll see it. They'll know it. They'll know it to be true. So we have a gift to give you, and I want to pray for you. We have a coupon. Who's, who's passing out the coupons? Yes, they're in your hands. It must mean it's you. <laughs> we have free drink at the coffee bar. You guys understand the coffee bar, the uh, coffee cafe or whatever it's out there. The, um, the, the purpose for this is to raise money for missions, Okay. Every month, there's a missionary out there right now uh, on the board. Every month, there'll be a missionary or a missions organization or something we're supporting. And all of the proceeds of that month will go to missions, right? This morning, the fathers get a free drink from that and steal money from missionaries. So we, we want to acknowledge this and, and uh, just give these guys uh, this, this uh, free drink. Guys, we want to pray for you and pray over you. So if everybody in the room, if you'd stand with us, please. We want, to, um, we want to acknowledge that this is a big deal. Being a dad is a big deal. And um, we should never take it lightly. Not that any of the dads do, but sometimes it's easier to be more focused than others, right? But uh, this is where we say, God, this is about you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for every one of them, from the youngest dad to the oldest dad. Lord, they're all dads. God, some of them... Some of them are just starting out. Some of them are, are, are rounding toward home. And uh, God, we ask you to bless them with your spirit and your presence. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be dads. Help us to do it with everything that we possibly can towards you, towards you, Lord God. Put this in every one of these men's heart right here, right now. Put every one of their hearts that they are leading their children towards you, regardless of how old their children are leading them towards you. Jesus, we acknowledge that. We thank you for that. And God, bless them with your spirit, your presence. Give them confidence. Give them um, a, a, a good understanding of their spirit that, that, that you are excited about them, that you are joyful about them, and that you love them. We thank you for this. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's give these dads a hand. How, how many of you dads, um, how many of you, let me ask it this way. How many of you are going to take dad out to lunch? 
Dad, how many of you are going to pay for it? That's what I thought. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Use Father's Day to do this. God will honor that in your life. Have a great rest of your day.